0: Good to see you this morning. My name is Tim Harris, pastor at Woodburn Baptist Church. It's where you are, and it's so good to have you. Open your Bibles to Psalm 19. Psalm chapter 19 is where we'll be this morning. A sermon entitled, The Song of Science. I want to just take a Sunday and, and, and talk about science with you all. Uh, there was a time when this would have been probably less important, but I consider it very important in our day and in our culture especially with our young people, more and more young people are walking away from faith because their questions about science don't get answered in church. I'm not claiming to answer questions about science in church today, but I want us to have the conversation anyway. Psalm 19, I love science. Any just science geeks in the room? Hands up. The rest of you are just plain old geeks, obviously. Then, uh, just kidding. Um, I've always loved science and I've always been a geek, so it just goes together, I, I guess. Um, I think I think living in the country has probably increased my love for nature, my love for creation, my love for science, Uh, just something about being in the country. You'll notice in the Bible, whenever God wants to speak to somebody, he takes them outside. When he wanted to speak to Abraham, the first thing he said was, you know, come outside and look into the sky. You understand? It's just amazing. You know, Abraham otherwise would have been sitting in his tent watching Netflix like you and never hearing from God, but God says, come outside and look up into the sky. I mean, our parents used to say, go outside and play. I mean, you know, just, and they didn't, in traffic, it didn't matter. Just go outside and play. And and now, you know, kids never seem to go outside at all. I I was outside a lot. I watched, uh, you know, as a kid, you know, go out to the barn to watch pigs be born. I mean, you have ever seen pigs born? Uh, It's just amazing, gross, and and just uh, uh, amazing. Watch calves be born. Uh, and, uh, and learn about all the extra parts that come flying out at the end of that. I mean, it's just so amazing. I mean, it just really, really is. I, at some point in elementary school, um, I was introduced to the microscope. And uh, the first time we put pond water, just one drop of pond water, looked at that under the microscope and saw just the amazing tiny little zoo that lives inside a single drop of pond water, paramecium and uh, euglenas. Uh, what else, y'all? Uh, I'm blanking out on my protozoans. It's uh, just a, a, amazing, a, amazing, and I could do that for days. Once in a pig trough behind our barn, there were these tiny little weird things, uh, little worm things in the water, and I was fascinated by that. You know, figuring that's probably what's in our well water too. By the way, you know, um, but uh, I remember looking at those under the microscope and trying to figure out what they were. I finally, finally realized those were mosquito larvae. It's just so amazing, and, and that's just kind of growing up in the country and being a geek, that's kind of how my life went. Uh, one Christmas, probably when I was six or seven years old, I asked for a chemistry set, and in those days, you could get a real chemistry set. I mean, these days, it's probably so safe, you can't blow anything up, but in my day, you know, I nearly blew my grandmother's kitchen off the back of her house one day. Uh, science, I love that, and it's just amazing. You could blow things up. Um, It never crossed my mind that a love for science and a love for the world could possibly be in conflict with my love for God and God's Word. Never crossed my mind. And honestly, to this day, it really doesn't cross my mind. I don't see the conflict. And I want to help, uh, as pastor, as, as a church, I want you to not be so nervous about science, not to be so nervous about these things. Truth is truth, and all truth is God's truth. And so the truth of science is never going to contradict the truth of God's Word. Truth is truth. All truth is God's truth. And all things are, are, are still up for exploration and discovery in the world. Science continues to move forward. Uh, God's Word is eternal. I'm just telling you, don't be so nervous about these things. Uh, we can celebrate what God has made and celebrate uh, how human beings can learn about it. Speaking of that, introduce you to my new friend. This is m 87 Um literally that's the name of it scientists don't name black holes they don't name black holes uh, incidentally one of saturn's moons is named peggy which was one of my favorite you know things in all the universe peggy the moon that's just awesome that that's just amazing this is m87 asterisk this is the very very first black hole ever seen with human eyes and you're looking at it They're pretty amazing Now, part of what I think is equally amazing is that Einstein, back in his day, was, I think, one of the first to actually predict that that black holes would exist. Einstein never saw one with his eyes. No one's ever seen one with a telescope. Understand scientists, really, really smart people, realized or sort of formulated that these things would exist based on math on paper. Let that sink in. They weren't looking through telescopes, understand. It was mostly math, you know. I mean, these are just brilliant, brilliant people who can begin to discover things that God has made that, that human eyes haven't even seen yet. And black holes were among those things. This black hole is something like 53 million light years away. That's a long way. It would take you a long time to drive 53 million light years if you're just circling McDonald's and Sonic and Franklin. You understand? Long, long time. Although some of you high school kids have done it by this point. 53 million light years. That means that's a light year is how long it takes light to travel in one year. So that means the light that's leaving this, you know, it would take you 53 million years for the light to get here. You know, so if the whole thing blew up, we wouldn't know for 53 million years. I mean, that's how long it takes just the light to reach our planet. 53 million light years away. It's not the closest black hole to us, but it's the easiest one to see somehow. 53 million light years away. M-87 What? what 87 asterisk. Uh, this is a black hole. Uh, this uh, uh, event horizon here, the, the, the black hole part, um, our entire solar system could could fit right there inside that. But this thing is just massive. You know that this ring here is larger than the orbit of Pluto. Just, Whoa! So big, so uh, amazing. And if if something like this can't stir your heart to wonder and, and and to worship, then then there's something profoundly broken in your soul, and that's what I want us to talk about today. Psalm 19 is where we'll go. You have to understand that none of these things are alien to Scripture. Scripture knows about creation. Scripture sometimes just, just uh, loses itself in the wonder and worship of all that God has done. And Psalm 19 is one of those places. I want you to see that. Psalm 19 is an amazing passage that begins just praising God for what he's made. Now, I want you to notice that we're going to read the whole psalm. I want you to notice the way the psalm moves or how it develops. It starts out with what I would call a, a super view. In other words, it's the heavens. It's the largest, widest focus possible, super cosmic. And then it just continues to narrow and narrow and narrow and come down to just the, the, the smallest focus possible, the individual human heart. So notice how it goes from, from the heavens to the heart a single human heart it's rather amazing and this is the God that we worship Psalm 19 verse 1 the heavens proclaim the glory of God the skies display his craftsmanship day after day they continue to speak night after night they make him known I love that they speak without a sound or word their voice is never heard we're talking about things like this you understand that The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Make no mistake, God made this. Understand? Day after day, they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or a word. The voice is never heard, yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. God has made a home in the heavens for the sun. It bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens and follows its course to the other end. Nothing can hide from its heat. Verse seven, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. Reverence for the Lord is pure, lasting forever. The laws of the Lord are true. Each one is fair. They are more desirable than gold, even the finest gold. They are sweeter than honey, even honey dripping from the comb. They are a warning to your servant, a great reward for those who obey them. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I will be free of guilt and innocent of great sin. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. Okay, there are certain assumptions in this passage which are just foundational both to biblical uh, Christianity and to science. I I want you to see these things. There's nothing really unique here. It's all throughout Scripture. Let's talk about these things. First off, understand God is the creator. Everything else is creation. Now this is important God is the creator and everything else is his creation Which means God stands outside of creation, above creation, you understand? Uh, that's why we don't worship anything in creation as God That's why, you know, the, or one of the first commandments is you, you don't make an image of anything that you see in, in creation and call that God We don't worship trees, we don't worship the ocean We don't worship Mother Earth, people you understand? <laughs> it's crazy Mother Earth is creation, it's a planet. Mother Earth did not create herself, you understand, it's creation. God is a creator, everything else is his creation. That's just fundamental, that's just just Genesis 1-1. In the beginning God created, you understand, there's God and everything else, he's separate from it. God is a creator, everything else is creation. Second principle, creation exhibits God's choices. He creates whatever and however he wants. And I think that's just wonderful. Creation displays this God of such amazing creativity. This God who just hand paints hummingbirds. Have you ever seen a hummingbird? If it'll sit still for you, just how beautiful a hummingbird is. I mean, its bones are so delicate. I mean, you could crush it in your hands. I mean, it's just so incredibly light. And yet it flies like it's been shot out of a rifle. It's just amazing. And a God who can create that, a God who can create M87 asterisk, a black hole like that, and at the same time knows the hairs, the number of hairs on your head. I mean, it's absolutely amazing, this freedom and creativity of a God who can just create whatever he wants, and he does. Creation exhibits God's own choices. When you look at the world, when you look at creation, you get a sense of what God is like. You get a sense of the choices that God has made, and it's absolutely wonderful wonderful. It's God who set the earth in the place where he sets the earth, in the middle of our solar system, in the middle of our galaxy, in the middle of the universe. I mean, God chooses. God creates. God is just an amazing God. Science tries to keep up. Science tries to think his thoughts after him. That's actually from a quote from a famous scientist and a a great man of faith by the name of Johannes Kepler, who said that science is actually trying to think God's thoughts after him. Just to look into the universe, to look at the things that God has made and and, and learn about God. I mean, this is what science does at its best because creation exhibits God's own choices. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 says this in worship. You are worthy, O Lord our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because you created what you pleased So everything that exists, it it somehow pleases God. Skunks, you know, and orangutans and elephants and all kinds of ring-tailed lemurs, you know, chickens, wild turkeys. I I got wild turkeys right now behind my house. Don't, don't ask if you can come kill them, y'all. I mean, I got like all these turkeys and this one gobbler that is so big and so old. He looks like a man in a turkey suit. I'm not kidding. You just see him out there standing around. I mean, he's like as tall as I am. He has a beard that goes nearly down to the ground and he is awesome, just awesome. And there are all these little jakes, these little, like, little gobbler turkeys around him and he hates them. He just comes out in the morning and just flogs them and kicks them out of the field, man. I mean, that field belongs to that turkey. He's awesome. But then there's this coyote and this coyote has big turkey's number and the coyote comes roaring out of the woods every single morning and flushes all those turkeys back into the trees. It's just so amazing and beautiful. Just so beautiful. Man, the sunrise. The sunset, the ocean, the mountains, the trees. Just break your heart with its beauty. Do you understand? All of this just is created out of God's own pleasure. He could have made all of creation, you know, just like, you know, without color, black and white. He could have made like one kind of chicken, one kind of bird, one kind of dog, you know. But instead, he makes those little dumb little dumb dogs that women carry in their purses and then like real dogs, you know. I mean, God just... Creates and creates and creates, and there's just no end to it. The amazing pleasure that God gets from his own creation. It pleases him. It delights him. It's an amazing God. So understand this, basic biblical principle, everything in the universe belongs to him. Everything is the Lord's. The psalmist says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So understand, if we somehow dig up a fossil, that that appears to be millions and millions of years old, it's the Lord's. Don't freak out. Don't worry about it. Don't say, well, there's no way it could be that old. It it could be that old. God's an eternal God. It's amazing. So just wonder at it and understand it's the Lord's. He's not saying, oh, no, where did that come from? No, it's all the Lord's. The black hole is the Lord's. It's all the Lord's. So as scientists begin to explore and discover, understand, it's all the Lord's. It's all his. The oldest fossil that we found is this gigantic, gigantic female dinosaur the size of a greyhound bus. And she died pregnant. Understand? She brings God glory. She brought God glory in her pregnant life. She brings him glory now. Understand, everything in the universe is the Lord's. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, everything in the universe simply belongs to him. So understand, the psalmist says in Psalm 19, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. So the biblical principle here is, don't miss it. The biblical principle is you can learn about God. You learn about the creator by looking at his creation. So this is a blessed pursuit. Do it. You're invited to do it. God obviously wants us to do it. Step into creation. Look at it. Learn from it. Listen to its song. Because it's declaring the glory and wonder of its maker. It's basic biblical principle. And so this in itself is is the very foundation of science. And it's a Christian pursuit. Because the earth is the Lord's, and because he invites us into it, then then listen to it, learn from it. Because the more you learn, the more you will learn about the God who created it all. So so what do you learn? Book of Romans tells us that creation itself reveals God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature. Romans chapter 1, I think verse 20. Creation reveals God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature nature e- eternal power D- divine nature whatever you look at whatever you see if, if, if you look with honest eyes it will begin to reveal to you something of the fingerprints of the, the God who made it you're looking at his own craftsmanship eternal power divine nature this is actually what science is about so so what is it exactly that it reveals to us Uh, creation incorporates incomprehensible expanses of space and time now i know that makes some people nervous don't be nervous don't be nervous there's nothing non-biblical about saying this Creation incorporates incomprehensible expanses of space and time. A black hole, fifty-three million light years away, and that's not even very far away in terms of the universe. But, but light travels—you know—one light year. This, how? I mean, when light comes on, light's really fast, right? Like Muhammad Ali used to say that he was so fast. He. Uh, 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 Float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Is that what he used to say? And he said he was so fast, he could flip out the light switch and be in bed asleep before it got dark in his room. Remember he used to say that, you know? But no way, because light is fast. It's instantaneous. If, if I turn on the light at my house, and, and, and you've got a clear view, you'll see it at the, from, from any distance. You'll see it when it comes on. me. Light just travels incomprehensibly fast. So that's how we mark out distance in the universe. The distance that light travels in a year which is incomprehensibly far for us. But then you're talking about things that are millions, millions, millions of light years away. The furthest thing away that you can see with your naked eye when you look out at the sky, the furthest thing away that you can actually see with your eye without a telescope is is I think 16 million light years away. 16 million light years away. So again, that means when the light left that star, 16 million years ago. So honestly, to look into the night sky is to look back in time. You know, pff, heads just explode right there, right? I mean, you're looking at stars as they would have appeared millions of years ago, because that's how long it took the, the light to get to your eyes. You understand that? It's incomprehensible distances and and, and honestly, one of the things that we find out is that most of creation is empty space. Like most of it's just empty. And, and you've seen the pictures of the universe and it's just a whole lot of black space, a whole lot of empty space. But it's not just like outer space that's empty. Inner space is empty too. Do you understand that your body is 99.999999% empty space? You've been trying to fill it up for years, haven't you? I mean, I'm not saying that you're hollow, Understand, uh, you're created of matter like everything else that God has made, and matter is composed of atoms, you know, nucleus and electrons, you know. But an atom is overwhelmingly empty. The nucleus is very, very small compared to the orbit of the electrons. Uh, Atoms are mostly empty space. I mean, if this entire sanctuary were one single atom, say a hydrogen atom, the nucleus would be smaller than the size of my fist, Everything else would be empty, and the single electron in the hydrogen atom would, would be like a moth flying around above the roof, you know. I mean, it would be like it, mostly empty. So your whole body is made up of atoms like that. So if we could somehow suck all the empty space out of the atoms in your body, what's left over, what's left over of you, if we could suck out all the empty space, would be smaller than a piece of lint, Try thinking about that next time you're trying on a bathing suit, you know? (laughs) Incomprehensible expanses of space and time. But Romans tells us that when you look at creation, you can learn something of God's eternal power. Eternal, which means that this is a God outside of time. He's not wearing a watch. He didn't create with a calendar out in front of him. Do you understand? He is outside and beyond time. So whether we're talking about, you know, a short period of time, like seven days of creation, or millions and millions and billions of years, that's irrelevant to God. He's eternal. He's completely eternal. And for me, a God who can sustain creative purposes over billions and billions and billions of of eons, that that only makes God greater for me. He's God. He can create however, whatever, whenever he pleases. He's God. It's, It's amazing. Creation incorporates these incomprehensible expanses of space and time, which means we serve and worship this God of such wonder, this God of such majesty, this God who is so far beyond all of it. But notice how Psalm 19 so instantly goes from this this song of science, the song of the heavens, that heavens proclaim the glory of God to straight into verse seven, where instantly the, 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 the subject changes to the word of God. We've been talking about what we can learn about God from creation and, and the instantly he switches over to the word of God. Now, all of these verses that, that poetically speak of God's word, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving soul. the soul. Decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. And on and on he goes. He's talking about God's word. I think it's wonderful how right here in this psalm, we can go from this wonder and worship in response to, to the song of creation and then instantly come back to God's word. Because understand, they're not in conflict. They've never been in conflict. They'll never be in conflict. It's the same God. The same God that Romans says reveals himself to everyone in creation. I mean, there's so much of God just in creation that you wouldn't have an excuse if you'd never read a Bible. <laughs> Siri's talking to me What in the world did I say that sounded like Siri Y'all know, y'all know? Um, The book of Romans says Book of Romans says That there's so much of God in just what you can see If you'd never read a Bible You'd still be responsible And yet the word of God remains, the word of God is perfect, it's trustworthy, it's right, it's clear, it's pure, it's true, it's more desirable than gold. I mean, on and on it goes. Do you understand that you can love creation, you can love everything that God has made, and you can still love the Bible. These things are not in conflict, they they go together, they go together perfectly, just perfectly Instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. I mean, notice what the Word of God says about God's own Word. It's perfect. It's trustworthy. It's true. Now, when I say that, that doesn't mean that I just, like, put my scientific brain aside. No, no, no. These things can be true all at once. God's Word can be inspired, perfect, trustworthy, true. Um, do you understand? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed. It's God-breathed. It's inspired. All scripture is inspired by God, and it's profitable for doctrine and teaching, instruction and righteousness. You understand? It's, it it helps equip us to do God's work. I mean, Scripture says exactly what the Bible is good for. That is perfect. That is trustworthy. That's true, and and then how we should use it. I mean, the, the Bible is everything that, that that God says that it is. So why does it leave so many questions? You know. Years ago in youth ministry, if, if a kid like slipped a question to me, it was always, always, always about sex. Always about sex. Like slip a question to me. Like, I know I'm not supposed to ask this, but, you know, boom. And usually, you know, one of like three questions. Like I knew exactly what, the, you know, I don't have to read it. I know what you're asking, you know, kid. <laughs> um, now, kids slip me questions about science, like they're not supposed to ask it in church. Our kids. Now where's that coming from? When our kids share their faith with their friends in public school, almost inevitably, the, the obstacles become the science questions of non-believing students. There is this incredibly pervasive sense in our culture that if you love the Bible, that, that you can't also love science, that, that you can't, somehow respect the truth of science and and then honor and and follow the authority of God's Word as well. I just want to remind you that, that very simply, in the same way that creation reveals God's own choices, the Bible reveals God's choices too. And the fact is, the Bible reveals what God wants it to reveal about creation. And there's not a lot. Let's be honest, there's not a lot. The Bible doesn't speak a whole lot about creation you say what about the whole book of Genesis well I've read the whole book of Genesis and it's not all I mean once we get it all created then the story starts it really doesn't answer all our questions at all it never has I'm really comfortable with that because I also believe since it's God here he tells us all we need to know all you need to know. But that doesn't mean that some of us won't be very, very curious. And it doesn't mean that God isn't delighted when some of us devote our whole lives to exploring and discovering what he's made. You're only gonna discover more and more. You're gonna go deeper into his eternal power and divine qualities, you understand? But the Bible doesn't tell us everything. It never has Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are the primary places we go to, to find out about creation. And it doesn't answer all the questions. It tells us the important things. Most important thing, that God is the creator of everything. That God is the creator and everything else is creation. I mean, I mean that's fundamental. That, that's just basic. you, you got to believe that. you got to know that. But from then on, there's so many questions. Questions that people were asking long before the debate about evolution People have always said, where in the world did Cain get his wife? I mean, all of a sudden, they open the door of the Garden of Eden and walk out, and all of a sudden, there's like people. You know? And if you're just reading along, you, you thought it was just Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, and all of a sudden, Cain goes out, finds a wife in a city. And people have said, where in the world did he get his wife? And preachers say, you shouldn't ask that. In other words, don't ask anything the preacher don't know how can you not ask that? That's a brilliant question that the Bible never really chose to answer. And that's okay. It's okay. Because the Bible reveals what God wants it to reveal. The Bible shows us that that God made it, everything, and that it was made good. God made it and it was good. But now because of sin, it's caught in this struggle, this cosmic struggle And so creation is no longer, it's no longer free to simply fulfill the purposes for which God made it, the creator. Now creation is locked in this struggle. It it groans, scripture says. It, it, It groans. It's sort of now lost in this cycle of ruin and decay. But creation itself is going to find its completion, its redemption. It's going to all be made new when Jesus himself, Jesus, is the goal of creation. When Jesus has his triumph, then everything in all creation, everything then is recreated, a new heavens and a new earth, and everything is made right. I mean, that's what we know created by God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and, and, and the word was God and nothing was created without him. You understand the word himself, Jesus himself was the word of creation. He is the alpha and the omega the book of Revelation. It says the beginning and the end. He was there at the beginning. He'll be standing there at the end. You understand it's all his. It finds its climax. It finds its redemption in him. I mean, this is what you need to know. This is what everybody's got to know. In between, there are things we don't know. But just because we don't know it doesn't mean God doesn't know it. It doesn't mean we can't discover more. It doesn't mean we can't learn. Oh my goodness. Creation reveals his eternal power, his divine qualities. We're never gonna get to the bottom of all of that. It's wonderful. Just wonder and worship. Okay, what about evolution? Evolution. Let's just talk about that a second. The problem that most of us have with evolution is we've only heard atheists talk about it. We've only heard atheists talk about it, so it was always connected with this this godless whole system of thinking where there is no God and science takes the place of God. And, And understand you've only ever heard atheists. And your kids have only ever heard atheists talk about evolution. But understand some things. Understand, creation itself reveals the choices that God has made, and everything that exists, exists because God wanted to exist, and it pleases Him, Revelation chapter 4. And part of what we see in creation, the world that God has made, is that things change over time. That's evolution. Things change over time. You can't deny this. I can pull out the church directory, from 1978, from this church, and show you, you. In 1978, and you now, and you have evolved, lady. <laughs> you have evolved, understand? Things change over time. That's simply a part of the world that God has made. Nobody can deny this. Things change over time. And, and over large expanses of time, things change quite a bit. I mean, things change. Animals change. They develop, That they evolve. No one can really deny this. It's a part of the way God made things, and that shouldn't make you nervous. Now, what we don't know exactly is is how much of that change over time God uses to accomplish his own creative purposes. That's the part we don't really know. We don't know how much of evolution God incorporated into, into getting the world made exactly as he pleased. Again, God can do anything he wants, And if that pleases God to to do something he created, I mean, if that pleases him, then I'm pleased too. The Bible leaves that open. It really does. The, The Bible doesn't in any way require that you not believe that evolution is possible at all. The Bible doesn't require that. There's no place where that simple principle of change over time is contradicted by God's word. And there's nothing in the world that says if that's the way God chooses to create, that that somehow contradicts the Bible. What are you talking about? Actually, if you begin to to, to consider that, some of the very questions I mentioned earlier in Genesis that we've never been able to answer become a little more answerable. The whole idea of Cain and his wife, for example. I mean, so honestly, you can't just dismiss this out of hand just because the atheists are talking about it. If there's something true here, it's still God's truth. And, And we can't drop out of the conversation just because we don't know how to have it. We'll lose a whole generation of young people. We could lose this nation. This is an obstacle to the gospel, people, because we've dropped out of this part of the conversation. We need Christians who know how to think. We need Christian scientists on fire, out there thinking their highest and best thoughts, helping us find the way through. You know, the leading scientist in the United States right now is a man named Francis Collins. He was the head of the Human Genome Project. You know, he's a believer. He's a believer. He actually was raised in an atheist family. You should read his testimony. It's in his book called The Language of God. It's fantastic. He came to full full salvation in Jesus because of his work as a scientist. He's an amazing man. We need more like him, a lot more like him. But but notice how the psalm moves from this this super cosmic focus down to this microscopic kind of focus focus on on, on the human heart. How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? You know, it turns out the, the, the biggest black hole in the universe was not M87 asterisk. The biggest black hole in the universe turns out to be right here in the center of my chest. Man, they'll probably understand the bottom of that black hole before they understand the bottom of my black heart. You understand what I'm saying? How can I know all the sins lurking in my heart? Cleanse me from these hidden faults. Keep your servant from deliberate sins. Don't let them control me. Then I'll be free of guilt and innocent of, of great sin. One well, of the principles of the Bible, and you can't miss this, is in all of God's creation, human beings are special. There's something about us, the way God made us. He didn't make us like everything else. Now, we are undeniably made of the same dust as everything else, the same DNA as everything else. You have like 90% of your DNA and all of your table manners in common with a chimpanzee, understand? So we are literally created of the same dust, the same DNA, but, but scripture says there's something different about us that God somehow breathed his own breath into us, that we were created in his image, which means we have this crown that we wear in all of God's creation, we're different, we're not animals. We're creatures made in God's own image, and and, and that makes us different. I mean, we are able to respond to him, to know him, to worship, to be lost in wonder. I mean, the the fact of the matter is you are created to know and seek after God. The problem is you usually don't. You're created like this. You're created not not to be an animal. The problem is you'd rather just live like one. And you're created higher to think God's own thoughts. The problem is you usually don't. You're created to seek after him and know him. The problem is you usually don't. This is my frustration with a lot of people who raise questions from inside the church about science. And I'm talking to some of you kids now. Some of our very kids who come and say, Pastor Tim, you know, I'm just not so sure. I've been taking advanced biology in college and now I've just got a lot of questions about what I learned in church. And I just want to say, kid, I appreciate the fact that you took advanced biology in college, but I happen to know you dropped out of Sunday school in third grade. You dropped out of Sunday school in third grade. So you follow Bill Nye, the science guy, on Twitter. He's like your your science guide. At the same time, the only theologian you really know might be Larry the cucumber. I'm not making a joke. I'm saying people aren't honest. And, And some of you in this house, you're not honest. You say, you know, Pastor, I've really been exploring science, and I've I've explored the Bible. You've not explored the Bible. Give me a break. I happen to believe that you read your science book because the professor made you, but I'm not sure you read your Bible at all. Matter of fact, I would say everything that you know about the whole Bible would probably fit on one flannel board. Let's be honest. You don't know that much. I mean, you say that you're not sure that that the Bible answers all your questions about science, but you're not reading it. You're really not. You take this this science that you see that seems so awesome and amazing and full of answers, and then you you take this God from Sunday school that you carry in your back pocket, this VeggieTales God, and you've never made any progress, you've never really tried to grow in your faith, You've never actually read a book in theology or or tried to give your highest thoughts to to God's word. I mean, let's just be honest. You haven't. You haven't. You you have this curiosity that you're willing to apply in science, but when it comes to matters of faith, you're lazy. Just lazy. Lazy Lazy-brained. And so you go around telling yourself that you're not sure that there are any answers in Genesis, but you haven't read Genesis or Exodus or anything else. So let's just be honest. Science is not your problem. You are your problem. And the fact that your God seems so small doesn't mean that he is small. It just means that you really haven't tried very hard to get to know him. I love you, but I'm just being honest. The psalmist steps out, looks up into the heavens and immediately is just lost in amazement and wonder recognizes that everything that God made continues to sing a song about him. From there, he immediately begins to think about God's word and ponder God's word. Interesting how he goes from from this to, to, to this. And he sees the same song, the same testimony, the same perfection, the same freedom in God's word. And then having looked at the perfection of the heavens and the perfection of God's word, he looks into the gaping black hole of his own heart And realizes, man, I I am the problem. Man, those black holes, those quasars, the the galaxies—they they they praise Him perfectly. Every animal that God has made, it praises God perfectly. The birds in the morning—they just wake up and sing a a song to the Lord, their Maker. They just wake up and sing. They don't wake up having a bad feather day, you know. They don't feel much like singing today. They just sing. They just sing. I got a bird that can build a nest on my front porch so fast. I mean, so fast you can knock it down, walk around the house, and it's built. <laughs> True story. I had a guy pressure washing my front porch. I said, "Would you please get the bird's nest?" He said, "I will." So uh, I walked out. He was pressure washing. I came back, and everything was clean except that bird's nest. I said, "I asked you to get the bird's nest." He said, "I did." So it's like an amazing bird. It brings God perfect glory, you understand? I mean, could you make a nest like that? In 15 seconds flat? And lay an egg in it? <laughs> Amazing. Possums, you know, crossing the road, look at you, those, you know, beaming eyes. You know? the squirrel that runs out in front of you and like can run in and out of all four of your tires while you're driving down the road, and you're like, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Man. My dog, Augie, just dumber than snot. But she praises God so perfectly. She's just a dog, you know? And, and she fulfills all of God's purposes for her. She's an amazing creature. I'll tell you a secret. When, when I run, I'm in the country, I I run past cows and horses and I preach to the animals. I just say, hey, love your creator, praise him continually. I know it's dumb. I just can see so much of the God I know that made me and them. And and they praise him so perfectly just by doing what they do. In, In all of creation, everything that God has made, the only thing that turns away from him In all creation, the only thing that just won't sing its song to him, the only thing that turns away is you and me. We just simply will not be what he made us to be. We will not live within the boundaries he set for us. We always want to do more or less. So uh, understand The Christian message is not a science message. It's a salvation message. The Bible doesn't tell a science story. It tells a salvation story. Now, you'll run across some science in the Bible, and when you do, you can trust it. You'll have to interpret it. Interpretations are are fallible. God's word is infallible, but your interpretation can be wrong. I just show you the passage we read today in verse 5. The sun bursts forth like a radiant bridegroom after his wedding. It rejoices like a great athlete eager to run the race. The sun rises at one end of the heavens. Well, no, it doesn't. I mean, we've all been in science. We know the sun doesn't go around. We know better now, you know. But so, I mean, does that matter? We also know the sun is not technically a radiant bridegroom. You know, he's also not an, an athlete eager to run the race. It's, it's poetic. It's, it's doxological. It's intended to praise the creator. It's not telling you about the sun in its orbit. You understand? We use this kind of language. Last week we had a sunrise service. We did not have an, a rotation of the earth celebration service. You know, last Sunday, this is just how we talk. It's, just, it's, it's observational description. I mean, anybody who looks at it and says, There you go, the Bible doesn't know it's science. Get out of my face. I mean, you know, you're crazy. That's not intended to be a scientific description. It's praising God as the maker of everything, including the sun. That, that, that's just not a contradiction. That doesn't bother me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord. My rock and my redeemer. I've probably said some things in this sermon that some of you don't agree with. Um, Can we just say that's okay? The Bible tells a salvation message, not a science message. We can disagree about the science. You can ask any question in this place about science. We'll talk about it. We're not afraid of that. And, And we'll have different opinions on that. That's okay, because it's not a science message, it's a salvation message. At the end of this day, at the end of this life, you can get the whole science part wrong. You can be wrong about the science, but you cannot be wrong about Jesus. Pray with me. God forgive us, we spend way too much of our time indoors. (laughs) Yes, our houses are beautiful, and yes, the sanctuary is beautiful, Lord, but when you really wanted to get Abraham's attention, you took him outside. Asked him to look up at the stars. And then you started to blow open his heart and mind with a new vision for his life based on a God of eternal power and invisible qualities, made visible somehow and the starry expanse of the sky. God, I pray that our young people would, would just learn to be thinkers on fire for you, Lord. I pray that their hearts will be so stirred in wonder. Lord, I pray for kids who will rush out and look at drops of pond water under microscopes and, and get a telescope with dad and try to find the rings of Saturn and see if you can see the moon Peggy up there. Oh, God, help us to look at the animals, the the, the trees, the flowers, the sky, the rain that falls. Lord, help us just to see all of this and to see your hand, Lord, your fingerprints, your craftsmanship, and all of it. God, you have made it all, and it is all so good. Lord, may we of all people, your church of all people, Lord, may may we be be the very first ones to celebrate exploration and discovery and curiosity and learning. Because everything we learn, Lord, can only take us deeper and deeper and deeper into you, your power, your character, your holiness, your mystery. God, I pray for those people in the sound of my voice who have given up on the Bible because they feel like science somehow has overwhelmed the Bible with its questions. Lord, I pray that you'd help those to be a little more careful, a little more curious, a little more honest about what God's word reveals to us. Lord, I pray as a church we would learn to open our arms wide and be a little more gracious and graceful with those who ask questions. Because your truth is so big, Lord, because you are so big, Lord, help us not to think that there are any questions too big to ask in church. And Lord God, For those of us who have looked for every excuse in the world to avoid you, to run from you. For those of us who have said that science is what keeps us away from you, oh Jesus, I pray that Jesus today, you would make yourself large in the hearts of those who need to know you. Lord, if there's any great unknowable black hole in the universe, Lord, it's the one in the center of our chest. Lord, our hearts are dark and full of deceit. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would fill our hearts. Let your light shine in our hearts and teach us what you made us for. We pray all these things in Jesus, the word of God, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, Jesus.